Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Amen. Good morning, Maranatha. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And a happy Father's Day to those of you who are fathers. I know uh, my dad is watching too, so happy Father's Day, Dad. Look forward to talking to you later as well. Um, as Pastor Lloyd mentioned, we had a good week at our AFLC's annual conference down in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, that's my hometown, so it was kind of fun to go back uh, 20 years after I graduated <laughs> and see how much Sioux Falls has grown as a town, but also gotten smaller if that makes sense. You know, when you're younger, right, everything just seems big, right? And, and so Sioux Falls, in my mind, was just this massive place. But as I went back, uh, again, 20 years after I graduated, it got a little bit smaller, and all of those places that seemed so far apart were now very close together. Um, but it was a good time there connecting with other pastors, other lay leaders uh, throughout the AFLC. Uh, good time together in prayer, uh, both during the, the sessions and during resolutions. You have time where you pause and you just pray and commit uh, whatever you're discussing to the Lord. And so that was a very positive uh, thing. And then one of the highlights for me uh, being on the youth board of our AFLC was announcing our new director, our new national youth director. Uh, after 16 and a half years, uh, Jason Holt resigned and became the presidential ministry associate, kind of a, a vice president type role. Uh, he was our youth director. And so as a youth board, we had been tasked with finding a new director, and we are pleased to announce that Mr. Adam McCarlson, who is a current seminary student, uh, will be the next national youth director. So please be in prayer for Adam and his family as they make that transition as well. Um, always good to travel, always good to do that, but always good to come back as well and to be home. Uh, this morning we're going to be opening up Luke's Gospel, and we're going to be looking at Jesus' call to Peter and, and Peter's call to discipleship. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to begin finding that, Luke chapter 5. And as we go through this text, please, please note the progression of Peter from a passive observer to a polite participant and then finally a penitent disciple. And I just gave you your outline there, it was those six words, uh, mostly because when I uh, submitted this, uh, that was about all I had for the outline as well. But I invite you to fill in more than just those blanks this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Would you stand, if you're able, as I read God's word? Reading in Jesus' name. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, 
Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And also were with them James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Amen. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this text. We thank you for your calling of Peter, your calling of of each one of us, Father God, as well as you call us through your word. We pray that you would be with us today as we uh, look at this text and what you would have for us. Lead us and guide us according to your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. As we first encounter Peter in this passage, he is a passive observer of all of the goings on. Uh, this text takes place very early in the life and, or the ministry of Jesus, probably weeks, maybe yeah, definitely months after his, his baptism, his temptation in the wilderness. And Jesus has just begun uh, to minister, going out and preaching and teaching. And he begins this ministry of preaching and teaching in his hometown of Nazareth. And he goes to the synagogue there in Nazareth. And you could read this in chapter 4. Uh, and the, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah is given to him. And he finds in the prophet Isaiah where it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the Jews in in Jesus' day rightly saw those verses as messianic, meaning they pointed forward to the Messiah who was to come. And then Jesus says, Today this is fulfilled in your hearing. He says, Today you have heard this, and I am declaring to you, Jesus says, that I am the Messiah. And at first, this, this news was, was sort of well-received. They were looking forward to the Messiah and thinking, okay, now he's finally here. This rabbi is claiming that he is the Messiah. Uh, but then Jesus starts talking about how the good news, uh, even in the Old Testament, the good news, the gospel, was for all, regardless of who they were, regardless of their race, their ethnicity. And then the people of Nazareth begin to run him out of the synagogue. And so he goes on from there And he begins uh, preaching and teaching all throughout the area. And with the preaching and teaching come miracles. Um, He's cast out demons already, demons who who acknowledge him as the Messiah. And then word begins to spread of his power and authority, even over the demonic forces. And then he begins to heal people, many people. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 40 says, All those who had any friends or family who were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus, and he laid his hands on every one of them, and they were healed. 
And this included, by the way, Simon Peter's mother-in-law. It says in chapter 4, verse 38, that he left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. And we're told that Simon Peter's mother-in-law had a fever, and Jesus healed her of it. And I, I can't prove it, but I can imagine that Simon was there at some point, either for the healing of his mother-in-law or maybe a, a little bit later as his house becomes a, a hospital for all the sick at Capernaum who are brought there to Jesus to be healed. At some point in time, Simon Peter encountered Jesus, but he was still a, a passive observer of everything that was going on. And that brings us to our sermon text, to chapter 5, where we encounter the crowd's desire. Verse 1, it says, The crowd was, was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God. The crowd was pressing in. We've all kind of had that feeling before, right, of being in a crowded place with people all around us. Uh, we experienced that quite a bit at the annual conference this week, right? When the 400 people who left the Grand Ballroom there, the Rushmore Ballroom, left to go to this little narrow hallway to get coffee and cookies. <laughs> All of a sudden, the crowd was pressing in on every side. Uh, felt a little bit there. Uh, we can relate to what Jesus was going through. Uh, and the, the purpose, though, of this crowd, um, Luke tells us, was to hear the word of God. They had heard the miracles, they had heard the teaching, and they wanted more. They wanted to hear the word of God. And this is a good thing, isn't it? Here they are coming to Jesus to hear the word of God. So often in Scripture, the crowd kind of gets a, a bad name because they're coming to Jesus and they want to see miracles. They want to see a sign. They want to see a show. But here... They're coming just to hear Jesus teach, just to hear him preach. They want to hear the good news. And so everybody took the day off to go hear Jesus preach and teach. Everybody except for Peter, that is. Peter was, was busy with busy work. Look at verse 2 again. It says, And Jesus saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So here's Peter. The whole crowd is gathered around Jesus to hear the word of God. But Peter was washing his nets. He was going about the ordinary, everyday bits of life that he had to go through as a fisherman. Uh, nets tended to get dirty. Branches, weeds, reeds would get caught in the nets and had to be cleaned out. Uh, tennis shoes, old beer cans, right? whatever else people tended to throw in the lake would get caught into the net. And I'm not much of a fisherman, but I know that nets that would be full of gunk probably would not catch a lot of fish. And so those nets needed cleaning probably every day and especially on days when your catch was poor. But in all of this busy work, Peter was distracted from hearing God's word. You know, our, our vocations, our, our callings, work is a good thing. We were created for work, were we not? God has given work to us and it is a good thing. And for Peter, fishing was his vocation, his calling. That was a noble calling in Peter's day. Now it's more of a hobby that we do, right? <laughs> going out to the lake, going fishing, it's a hobby. But for them, it was, for Peter, it was like a, it was his full-time job. It was his farming a gig. He provided food for the community. It was a good vocation. And sometimes work, vocation, 
has, has the ability to take us away from God's word. And it can become hazardous then. The same thing could be said for, for many different things. Sports oftentimes take us away from hearing God's word. Maybe it's our own laziness, not wanting to get up on a Sunday morning and come to church and sit in the pew and listen to the pastor and to the cricket, who's now silent, by the way. But you heard him earlier, right? Sometimes our own laziness wants to keep us in bed. Maybe our to-do lists. There's just so many different things that we have to do, right? And I've got a weekend. I don't want to go to church to listen to God's word. What's keeping you from hearing God's word this morning? What distractions are going on in your own hearts and your own minds as you are sitting here in the pews physically, but maybe your mind is a million miles away? In Simon Peter's life, Jesus came and, and Jesus interrupted all the busyness. And as Jesus interrupts, Jesus makes two requests that move Peter from this passive observer to a polite participant. Uh, Jesus' first request is to borrow the boat and to use it. Look at verse 3 again. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. <laughs> into the boat. In Minnesota, you don't just get into anybody's boat, do you? <laughs> Could you imagine uh, just walking up to any boat on the lake and just uh, somebody's pulling it out of the lake and just hopping in it? <laughs> what would happen? <laughs> You'd probably get the cops called on you, right? The, the owner would go ballistic. But here Jesus, uh, Simon Peter is sitting on the shore doing his thing, washing his nets. Jesus gets into the boat. But not only is this guy now in your boat, this guy is also asking for a ride. <laughs> you know, push out into the water for, for a bit. But I think Jesus had more than a pleasure cruise in mind as he asked Simon to push out. There was a purpose behind this. As the crowd is pressing in on Jesus, he knows that he needs uh, some help so everybody can hear, everybody can see. And so getting into Simon's boat, pushing away a little bit from the land, would do that. It would provide a, a natural pulpit, if you will, for Jesus to preach and teach the word of God. Uh, the water would act as a megaphone to amplify Jesus' voice. And scholars think that the part of the Sea of Galilee, uh, Lake Gennesaret, uh, that Jesus was in at this time had, had cliffs that surrounded it and that would have acted as a a, an amphitheater of sorts, allowing a speaker's voice and volume to carry so that everybody could hear. This was a very practical thing for Jesus to do. It let the entire crowd see and hear him. But it was also a very personal, personal thing for Jesus to do because it called Simon Peter out of his busyness and let him pause and listen. Look at the second part of verse 3. And Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. Simon Peter had a front row seat that day to Jesus' teaching. And this passive observer began turning to that polite participant who was finally hearing Jesus preach. And the word of God, the word that the crowds clamored to hear that day must have been making some impact on, on Simon Peter as he listened. God's word was doing its work in Peter's heart. And I think there's a principle there for, for all of us that God's word does not return void. 
we do well to remember that, to keep that in, in our minds, that God's word will do its work and God's word does not return void. A couple of weeks here, we'll have vacation Bible school, right? And Lord willing, we'll have another 70 kids come to VBS. And sometimes it can get rowdy, right? <laughs> if you've been in VBS, you know how rowdy that can get sometimes. And you wonder, are, are we doing any good? Are these kids really hearing God's word? Are, are they being changed? Same thing could be said for kids' club. <laughs> um, Sunday school. I have to remind myself every Wednesday night during confirmation and youth group that God's word does not return void without accomplishing the purposes that he has sent it for. Sermons like this, your own devotions, God's word is working, and it was working on Simon Peter then as well. And Jesus had a second request of Peter put out into the deep. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. When he had finished speaking, speaking to the crowd, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. You can almost hear some of the the politeness coming through in Peter's response to Jesus, can't you? He, He addresses Jesus as master. This was a term of respect. Here Peter is, again, this bold, brash disciple. Would be bold and brash, but yet here he's very, very polite, very humble, and he calls Jesus master. Uh, He doesn't mock Jesus, doesn't rebuke him, um, but just says, Lord, we've tried this. And Jesus' Jesus' request here is is kind of counterintuitive because fish are, are more active at night. The, the sun heats up the surface of the water during the day, so the fish dive down deep to stay cool. And during the night, as the water cools, the fish return to the surface to find bugs. And that's why some of the best fishing is in the morning. Um, and so Peter knows this, right? He is a fisherman. Jesus is a carpenter. <laughs> why is a fisherman going to take some advice from a carpenter? And Peter objects and he says, Lord, you know, we're master, I'm sorry, we've toiled all night. We did everything by the book. But yet, Peter obliges this request. He is a polite participant in it. And of course, you remember earlier, you you know the story. Um, Picking it up at verse 5 in the middle there, he says, But at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they had enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. The miraculous catch of fish here demonstrates Jesus' power and authority over nature. Not just the wind and the waves, right? Those miracles we know, but even over fish in the sea. (laughs) Kind of mind-boggling, isn't it, that even fish recognize the voice of their master, their creator, and obey him. And we don't know whether Jesus sent those fish down earlier so Simon Peter couldn't catch them or what the deal was. But we know that Jesus has authority and power over even the fish in the sea. And if he has authority and power over the fish in the sea, he's got authority and power over every area of life. He knows the struggles and trials that you've dealt with, that you're dealing with. He knows and he cares. 
And he is there for you to answer. And he has authority and power in every area of your life. And so as Peter encounters Jesus and begins to realize who Jesus is, Peter recognizes his own unworthiness. But yet despite that, Jesus calls Peter, invites him to become a disciple. Look again at verses 8 through 11. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Peter's declaration there is, is striking. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Peter was penitent. He knew his own sin. He knew his own unworthiness. And he fell down at Jesus' knees, a posture of worship. Right? You bow down before somebody who is more important than you. Emperors, kings, governors, high-ranking officials. And Peter recognized his own unworthiness to stand in the presence of Jesus, the master, the Lord over nature. And I believe that that day, Peter put his faith in Jesus, his trust in Jesus, and he continued to grow there from that day forward. There's a principle here for us as well. That just like Jesus used Simon Peter in all of his unworthiness, all of his sinfulness, he uses us as well, despite our unworthiness. I'm reminded of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, where he gets the vision of heaven and he sees the Lord seated on the throne. He sees the angels calling back and forth to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah says, woe is me. I am undone. I am ruined. He says, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. But yet Isaiah, even in his unworthiness and his sinfulness, is cleansed from his sin. The Lord sends a seraphim, an angel, uh, and takes a, a coal from the altar with tongs and touches Isaiah's lips with that burning coal and says, see, your sin is taken away, your iniquity is atoned for. Same thing happens with us in our unworthiness. We are cleansed not by a coal from the altar, but we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. As his blood shed on the cross 2,000 years ago is applied to us, we receive his blood, the forgiveness of sins as we believe in him, as we are baptized in his name through his word, through his sacrament. We are cleansed from our sin. And then... In all amazingness, the Lord chooses to use us imperfect instruments to accomplish his purposes. Just like he did with Peter, just like he did with Isaiah. As, as fallen sinners as we are, clothed in Christ's righteousness, God uses us 
And that's an amazing truth, isn't it? We can continue to remember that, that despite our unworthiness, he is worthy and makes us uh, his instruments. Look at Jesus' invitation here in, in verse 10. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Do not be afraid. How often we need that reminder. <laughs> Simon Peter needed that reminder as he's bowing before Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who can control the fish in the sea. Jesus says, do not be afraid. And he says, I will make you fishers of men. From now on, you will be catching men. For, the, for Peter, that meant he would become one of Jesus' disciples as he, in verse 11, leaves everything to follow him, including the huge catch of fish that, that, that he brought in. And think of all the money that that would have been for him, right? This is probably the biggest catch he's ever had in his entire life. And here he is, leaving it. And he's going and following Jesus. And for us, uh, this, uh, this thing, is the same, the same call applies to us as Christians. From now on, you will be catching men. This means we get to bring the gospel to a hurting world, right? Um, fishing uh, implies being active. I suppose you can be a, a passive fisherman and not put anything on your hook, uh, but that won't work, right? <laughs> Actually, my, my grandpa, he passed away a number of years ago due to a stroke. Um, but when he was in his early 80s, he told me, he said, Ryan, he said, I am the worst fisherman ever. <laughs> because he, he loved going fishing, but he didn't like the taste of fish or the smell of fish. <laughs> he didn't like catching or cleaning. And even, he said, catching and releasing was just too much work. So he would go out there with his boat, <laughs> with his rod and reel and with a hook, but he didn't even put a hook on, just a, just a sinker. <laughs> and he would just sit there and cast and reel and cast and reel all day long because he just loved being out in the boat, but he never caught a thing. <laughs> and people would ask him, how's the fishing? And he said, I haven't caught a thing. <laughs> but he just enjoyed being out there, right? You're not going to catch too many, too many fish without bait, without a hook. Kind of the same thing with us as we are catching, supposed to be catching men, bringing the gospel to a hurting and dying world. Oftentimes when we think of, of missions and mission work, uh, this fishing of, for men idea, we think of, of missions as being somewhere over there, right? Christians who have left everything, left the, the job here in the United States, left the house, left family, and go over there and, and try to make disciples, plant churches, bring in Christians. Uh, we were reminded at our uh, annual conference this year of our work up in Alaska, um, pastor Jeremy Kroll has been a pastor pilot up in Alaska, Naknak, Alaska, um, for I think the last 13 years, if I remember correctly. And he is returning to the lower 48 to do some work with uh, MADA, Mission Organization Training, or Mission Aviation Training Academy. So he's going to be training pastors, training pilots to do the work that he is doing up in Alaska. Uh, but it leaves a void there as he would fly into villages, bringing the gospel to these small villages, bringing VBS teams to these small villages. Uh, pastor Jeff Swanson had been a pastor and missionary up there for 10 or 11 years as well, and he's returned to the United States. There's a void there now. There's a need. Who will go to Alaska to preach, to teach, to pilot, to bring the news of Jesus? Who will go? 
There's a, an organization called the Joshua Project, and they're a, a Christian research group who helps missionaries and sending organizations <laughs> kind of get a grasp of the sheer number of people and people groups in the world. And Chris, if you want to put this slide on the screen here, it might be a little bit hard to see. Um, but the, the Joshua Group, or I'm sorry, the Joshua Project says that there are over 17,000 people groups in the world. And a people group is defined as the largest group within, within which the gospel can spread as a church planting movement without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. So language, dialect can begin to define people groups. Caste, religious histories, locations begin to define people groups. And there are over 17,000 distinct people groups. But yet, as of uh, 2022, there are still 7,387 people groups that are unreached. 42% of the people groups are completely unreached, and that's the big, broad, red line across the top. And there are around uh, 2,900 people groups that are minimally or superficially reached with the gospel. That means that there are over 4 billion people who have still no, have not heard the gospel. Four billion people who have not heard the gospel. Who will go? Who will bring God's word to them? Wycliffe Bible Translators says that there are around 7,400 different languages in the world. 7,400 languages in the world, but only 724 languages, less than 10% of the languages in the world have the Bible in their language. Only 1,600 have the New Testament. There's, there's, there's a great need for Bible translators. Who will go? Over there, yes, overseas, yes, to bring the word of God to those who do not know. But, but missions are also right around the corner. We have men and women here in the United States within our own neighborhood who do not know Jesus, who have not heard the word of God. We have an opportunity to bring God's word to them. You've heard the statistics, right, with the, the rise of the nuns. And no, that's not some weird horror film. Like, it kind of sounds like the rise of the nuns. N-O-N-E-S, right? 50% of Generation Z uh, identifies as a nun. No religious affiliation. Who will bring the gospel to them? There are others in other age groups too, not just Generation Z. Who will bring the gospel to them? We have opportunity right here in the United States, opportunities within our own church body to bring the gospel. Things like VBS are a great outreach where the word of God can go forth into the hearts and lives of the youngest, the smallest. Uh, even if VBS isn't your thing, maybe making quilts for the Alaska mission is your thing, right? Um, if that's too much as well, get to know your neighbors. Introduce yourself. Um, we all have unsaved coworkers, family members, friends, neighbors. You all, need pe you all know people who need to hear the gospel. Peter would go on to write in his epistle, he said, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Begin by forming relationships with your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers. Begin sharing Jesus with them. And be, be, know that it's going to take time as well. Right? Jesus was patient with Peter. It took a while before Jesus called him, 
Right? Remember, he healed his mother-in-law. He spent time in his house, that sort of thing, before he called him. We all have opportunity to share God's word, and I pray that we would be open to that and be looking to the Lord for those opportunities. But, but recognize that all of this, sharing Jesus, becoming a disciple, all of that is only possible because of Jesus' invitation. His invitation to hear his word as his Holy Spirit works in our hearts. His, his invitation to receive the forgiveness of sins. It's an invitation to fish for souls. Who will go? Who will share Jesus with those who need to hear? Brothers and sisters, the world around us is dying and they need the gospel and you are the best opportunity to reach them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the calling of Peter. I thank you for the calling of each one of us. How you first, first and foremost long for us to come to the knowledge of truth, to receive the forgiveness of sins, but then how you also call us to go, to proclaim the good news, to share the love of Jesus with a dying world, with a hurting world. Give us opportunity, even this week, as we go about our, our daily lives in the everyday ordinary, and just as you interrupted Peter in the busyness of his work, interrupt us. And make those opportunities for us to share uh, the love of, of God that is in Christ Jesus with our neighbor. For they need to hear. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.